This is a Scale with Sales podcast. Today's episode is taken from Rasmus's webinar, Million Dollar Consulting, about the book Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss. All right, so welcome everybody to today's discussion about the Million Dollar Consulting. So first of all, in this book, this guy talks about why you should be a consultant at all. And he talks about something called discretionary time. Like for his perspective is, if you are a consultant, you're able to control your time better. And if you're able to charge uh, with value-based pricing, which we'll get to, you, he said, wealth is that you have time to do things you want to do and have, of course, money to, to do those things. But it's not so much about money. It's the time that money buys. That if you have to be... Like I have, I've, I have lawyers that I know that they still have to work 40 to 60 hour weeks to make their money. And yes, they make more than your average person, but like they, they still have to work those hours in order to make, make the pay that they need. So, so if you can, being a real consultant is that you can charge good amount of money, no matter how much or little you work. And that allows you to adjust your lifestyle accordingly. So I just wanted to like get that out there. So that's what this uh, Alan Weiss is coming from, is that to get yourself in a good life, not to necessarily make a lot of money, even though he says making a lot of money is nice and good, but you need to think, what time do I have for my life that I have? Then he goes into, uh, it doesn't go in order of the book, but it, I, in my notes here, he talks about value-based pricing. This is very important for all of you, especially you young guys, but... Uh, all of us consultants as well, like never ever charge per hour. That's generally extremely stupid. Because the thing is, if you, if I, and the thing is, I might ask you, what do you charge per hour? Because that's the cheapest way for me to pay. But you should never, you, you don't, that to say, no, I don't have an hourly price. We say, I have a, I have a project price. Depending on the output, what, what value you get given for me, you take a part of that value. I have one one guy I work with, for example, he said that I don't ever charge more than 10% of the value I create. I make sure to measure it. So we do a product for six months. We measure, uh, did I overcharge? Because he charges every month a certain sum. And if he wasn't able to create at least 10 times the value that he he costs, he deducts from his his costs. But value-based pricing is based, if you take you to advertisements, it's easy. You say like, okay, we're going to run advertisements on this new product and we're going to see the more sales we get, the more money I get. Or, or maybe sales is even easier. I, I stand in the store and I sell socks and the more socks I sell, the more money I get. It's, it's per sock, say. That's, so it's based on the value that you provide. So of course, if you're closer, like we say selling socks, it's easy because you can really easily message socks. But now if you get into like strategy consulting or something, it gets a little bit difficult because like you have inputs, but there's a lot of other people working. There are, there are managers, there are, are workers, there's fluctuations on the market. How can you take away what my value really is? That can be difficult, but at least I would say from this book, I mean, he has a method for it in the book. It takes some time to explain, but at least you need to give it a try. Usually, for example, he asks, so if we do the things that, you, that we discuss here in this meeting, what type of outcome would be a reasonable outcome if we succeed with all these things we talked about. And they'll say, well, it should be like a 10 million increase in sales or like between 10 and 2 million, say, oh, sorry, between one and 2 million. Then he would say, well, okay, he will take the lower number, not the higher numbers. Okay, so let's say 1 million, then I will charge from this project 100,000. I'll take 10% of this. And like, that's that's how he how will charge. And if the client might say, well, you know, how do we know we get to 100,000? Well, that's what you said. You said we, we will get 100,000 of this. Well, what if it doesn't work out? Well, you see, okay, well, um, if we get less than that, 
we can also like I could also take less, but all, then we have to. But you say like this instead of like this. Well, then say we can increase the amount of time. And say if I can't get you the the one million in the product time, say four months, I'm uh, open minded to extending the time that we collaborate to reach that one million dollar goal. So you're still worth hundred thousand. You know, so you say you don't get under hundred thousand, for example. But anyway, so that's value uh, like value based pricing, and. That makes it though, sometimes you have to work a thousand hours to give somebody a hundred thousand. But even if you do that, you don't necessarily have to work a thousand hours. It could be that you only have to work 50 hours or a hundred hours. In the end, it doesn't matter for the client. The client cares how much money are you making? How much value are you giving me? And you're charging off that value. What, how much you work is irrelevant. I would even go so far to say it's kind of irrelevant who you work with, because it's not just you, you're going to work with other people who's helping you. But that, of course, the, the client might want to know that there are other people involved for, for different reasons. But basically, like, fundamentally, they care about making money. That's what they want. And you charge part of the money that you're making. So it's value-based pricing. Now, this guy, uh, I'd love to have a discussion on this as well, but this guy also adds stuff. So he said, well, the value is, of course, the sales or the money you're getting in. But it can also be, let's say the brand is getting better. That helps you with recruitment, saving your recruitment costs, and it helps you with sales in the future because your brand is stronger. So he adds costs into his proposal like that. This is also value that's created. He also always puts it on the low end how much this is valued at, but he adds so that you get all this um, all this value in there and he only charges uh, 10% of that. Another thing that he talks about in the book, he talks about uh, process expertise instead of subject expertise, which I thought was very interesting. He's saying that when you sell yourself, say, I'm a really good graphical artist and I'm going to make beautiful graphics, that's like a skill. It's an expertise, but the subject expertise. But he says like, no, no, if you want to be a really good consultant, you don't sell your hand skills. You sell the process. I have a process which we can go through and through that process, we will find what we need to do and then implement it. I'm not the guy who's getting my hands in the dirt to make these graphics, but I will figure out what type of graphics we need, when they should be used and so on. And then we will hi- I'll help you hire the right person for that. He said, there's more money to be had in the process expertise and your ability to prove the process more than your ability to prove your hand skills, so to say. So I thought that was very interesting. So they talk about uh, how to make offers. So he talks about having like a 90% to 100% offer success rate not in private sector, like on not tenders, but private sector negotiations. It's because he says, he just does some summaries. It's not an offer. It's like, we talked about this. We agreed on these are where you want to go. This is the value. This is what I think should be that we discuss that we discussed together should be included. And now I send the offer. So that should be like a summary of what we've already decided on, discussed and decided on. I just summarize it. If there's something missing, if you feel in the conversation like it's not, they're not ready, you'd like you don't send an offer. Like, okay, if, if we can't, like we don't, he doesn't send offers just enough. Okay, give me an offer. No, no, that that's a client trying to get rid of you. He said, yeah, send me an offer. I'll take a look. No, no, no. Either we discuss this and we try to collaborate together and make something work here, or it's, 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 we're not working together. You do work with somebody else. So... Um, and in the offers, he has he does uh, three things here. He first does an offer that covers everything we talked about. Then he has two more. One more is the offer plus. So it's the same as the original offer, option one, and more. 
Like if you can do option one, we'll succeed with what we talked about, but we can also do option two, which is all of option one, plus this other cool stuff that we could be doing that's really useful as well. And then option three, it's uh, he also adds, then it's option one and two and what he call a retainer where I am on call at, you know, depending on like any time, for example, day or night, you can call me. That's one version of doing it. And that adds another. So he never gives one offer. Like it's two options at least. Uh, retainers are difficult to sell. We can, that's sort of another discussion, but like option one and two. One and one, uh, option one and then one plus, you know, it's better. So he always gives two offers because the thing is they might start with offer one, but now they're dreaming a little bit. Like, you know, what if we would do off like, you know, option two? And then it's easier to add that later. So like, you know what? Looking at what we're doing, we're succeeding really well. Maybe we want to add like option two here. They already have been marinated a little bit and know what that's about. So he talks about, he, for example, says he thinks websites are stupid. And he had a long explanation why he thinks websites are stupid. He's like, I'm going to get so much for this, but he believes websites are stupid. You only have it as practically speaking a business card. Maybe you have some cases on there, but you don't put, he said like maximum four hours to build your website. Like don't do more. It's a waste of your time. Because he said, he says how you make money, like his way of getting clients as a consultant is through thought leadership and uh, connections. That's his way. And re recommendations come from connections. So uh, let's go with thought leadership first. So in thought leadership, it means that means like this is a fancy term, but it means like you're pushing the envelope of knowledge. That means that you are doing studies, books, stage talks, and you're trying to push what is the most efficient way or new way of doing a certain thing. That's so if you are not like that should be the whole strategy as a consultant. You can't be average person. Average person get average pay. That's 10 euros an hour. Like that doesn't work. You got to be, oh, I'm the guy who published the books on how to do authentic content, which is one book I'm writing, for example. I'm the guy who wrote the book on authentic content. I'm the guy who wrote the book about how to make accelerators, like that book right there. Uh, I've been in, in speaking in Japan, in Germany, in Finland. You got to be pushing the limits. That's why these really good consultants, if you, I don't know if how much you know about consultancy, but the really good consultants, we're talking, by the way, not, not McKinsey, we're talking individual firms, like individual or, you know, small, small size firms. These, well, guy, I got realized McKinsey and those guys do it in Boston. They do it all the time. They publish, the, in their case, white papers, but it can be 20, 40, 100 pages. They publish them all the time. And for, uh, good consultants do one book at least a year, continuously do books. Because whatever this book was done, this was done one year ago, but in five years, that might be old. If I got to keep, if I want to keep doing, being in that faith, in that environment, I got to make a new book, which is a new angle, new perspective, because things have happened in five years that I should include. So he believes like this, if, if you want to be a good consultant, you got to make books, talks, presentation, workshop that are pushing the edge. And your role is to get that information out to as many people as you can. That's me be, trying to be at big stages, trying to get a lot of book sales because it's when they are seeing on stage or reading a book, you're like, hey, you know what? Rasmus really knows what he's talking about. I want to work with him. Then you get, hey, Rasmus, let's work. What's your, what's your like, let's, let's set up the deal. Let's look at what your rate is. And he, like, he says, that is the way that you make money. The website ads and stuff like, yeah, no, no. Like just be the go-to guy in your field and clients will start coming to you. Your, your marketing is you creating new value for your clients. Now, the, the, so yeah, the, we, can we can talk about that for a bit. We'll talk about relationships after that because that's the other side of this. It's not just producing this content. This, this, this one is, I think is really powerful and I've tried to implement that in my own life. And he says, meet with two 
buyers, like people who have money, they can themselves sign the check. They're the ones who say yes or no. In an organization, not the gatekeeper, not the assistant, not the like the person who makes the decision. Meet two of them per week on average for the whole year. You're going to meet a hundred buyers per year. And I said, when I meet, he meets meet. It's not a sales meeting. He's meet, he's meet, like meet them, talk with them. They should be in your area where they could potentially buy. Absolutely. They shouldn't be just anybody. But you just meet with them and talk with them. What's going on in their life? What's going on in their business? Like, what's their struggles? What are they going on? And in those discussions, some will say, like one quarter, or he should say, one half will say, you know what? We're having these, you know, struggles with our uh, with our marketing here on the short form video. We're not able to make that work the way you want. We're not getting the results we think. People are talking how good it is, and we're not getting any out of it. But hmm, is that so? No. And then he said, schedule another meeting. If it's something that you happen to be selling, you should say like, I think I could help with that, but let's have another call about that because like we're hanging out now, but so let's have a call, professional call. We'll talk about that. Let's, you know, and you schedule it. But if you continuously meet two uh, two buyers every week, out of those hundred, 50 of them usually needs to talk with you more. And out of those half probably have real business. And if, if uh, let's say that's 25 times, let's say how much a deal is worth. In his case, it's 50,000. So 50,000 times 25, that's 1.2 1, 1. million. So if you have a 50,000 euro, if you have clients who can pay 50,000 for the service you have, you meet a hundred of them, 50, half of them have some type of need, half of them will actually go towards a purchasing decision. You make over a million euros. Part of the strategy is this, this uh, continuously being the thought leader, pushing the envelope, creating... Uh, books, learning, developing. Part of what I'm doing here is part of this process, right? And then meeting people, meeting them one-to-one or in small groups, hanging out. It could be in events. It could be playing golf, whatever it is. He also said, sometimes you go to events, you might meet 10 people, you know, then you have 10. You don't have to do two the next week necessarily. You got 10, but a a continuously flow of meeting two new decision makers every week on average will result in business just talking with them, getting to know them. And I think part of this also, he, did, he doesn't talk about it too much. It's like to repeat. Well, he, he does say that it's good to ha- check out with people every quarter, see what's going on with them. But I think that you know part of this is like retaining the people you know, and part is getting new ones. But you have to continuously meet people. Otherwise, you're not going to sell. You have the thought leadership and you have meeting people. And those are, yeah, by the way, there's one more thing. From the people you meet and the clients you work with, he actively asks for references. So if he talks to somebody, they don't need what he needs. He can say, you know what? Do you have anybody who uh, like is in need in this, in this type of thing that I'm working with? Because we have talked and there's there we don't say, yeah, you know what? My, maybe one of my friends have it. Okay, could you could you introduce us? So he does that, and from his uh, current clients, he all he asks references too. Could you introduce me to three of your friends who might be you know needing the same type of thing that I that we did together that you were happy with? So it's yeah, thought leadership. Uh, getting new people and then ask for references from the people that you know. And he does this continuously. And if you meet with 100 people a year that have a purse to pay and are in the area where they could maybe work with you, you're gonna, it's going to work. And the thing is, I was in an event recently. It was a political event. Uh, kids could be there. It was for free. But they were like as many politicians as people. It was a 50% politicians, 50% normal people. And I felt like they were like hawks, like just hovering around me, wanted to pitch me their politics or want to get to know me, but like it felt very plastic, uh, like artificial. And I was like, I, I want to go home. I don't like this environment. Like, please stop like wanting to sell to me. I, 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 you know, we can hang out, but I don't want to 
I don't want to vote for you right now. By the way, if there's 10 of you, I can only vote, vote for one anyway. So like, I, I, people don't prefer being sold to very much, but we can talk. And if we talk and realize there's actually something maybe I could help you with, set up another call. But then it's, you know, so so part of your strategy, that's why I'll go to events like once a month now, because I like realize I got to meet people and try to get the people, the type of people that could be my clients. And I got to talk with them. A lot of them just hang out and there will be opportunities coming my way when it's like that. And on top of that, I know a lot of you, so I could also sometimes give deals forward. Like, okay, I can't do this, but I have my friend who I, you know, who has this, so maybe I can connect you. So that also as an option that you can do there. But okay, so if you see like this, if you're if you're a thought leader, you're making books, you're being on stage, you're having your podcast, you're at other people's podcasts, you're having videos, you're constantly you're meeting at least two buyers per week, which is not much if you think about it. Two buyers per week, and you ask for references with your clients. I mean, what do you think about that recipe? Does it make sense? And you never know who's in need. When you do sales, you have to contact 100 people to find three people who want to talk with you. So that's also part of it. Like, are you don't know what emotional state is. That's what we talk about, like demand generation, demand capture. Demand capture is sales. We're trying to cap- capture people, the 5% who are currently want to buy, but 95% are not buying right now. That's who we make a lot of the content for. That's who we make the the articles and books and all this for the 95% who are not right now in need. The 5% we reach through sales and the 95% we reach through like in more indirect means. But yeah, it's but getting to them uh, offline, I think is very powerful. You can you can quite easily climb up if you just go like scaffolding one person to the next to the next and they just invite you. You can go sideways up. Eventually you're meeting with the, with the people you need to meet to. Because they know, like, and trust you. They've met you before. They can introduce you to somebody else. You ask to be introduced. Like, hey, I'm looking to see, like, uh, these type of CEOs for consumer brands. That, for example, candy, alcohol, like that type of stuff. Do you know anybody who works with that? Maybe, by the way, on LinkedIn, you can see who they're friends with. And you can, you can ask, hey, I see that you're friends with Olli, Olli in here. Can, can you introduce me? If, I, or if, if you're already a good foot with the person you asked to introduce, they will make the introduction for you. Because they see there's a benefit for them that their friend only knows you. That's also a way to, to create this um, thing. But you have to ask. But yeah, the friend of a friend is a very effective technique that you could use as well. But you got to make sure the first person is a friend, that you work with them, you hang out with them, work with them, like they know you, they know, like, and trust you, then it's easy to recommend. And they know you're skilled at what you do. Differentiating yourself with clear goals, it's like you have to, he talks about it in the book as well, To If you say like, I help you make your business better, uh, people don't understand it. it. It's a common, you have to niche yourself clearly. Like I work with this type of process in this type of area that gives you this results. You need to have that. Otherwise it's really difficult. And that's something that I've been struggling with at least for, uh, for the, so I've been struggling with that myself to have a really clear niche, what I'm doing for others. So that's something that I am myself navigating to find what is the thing that I would like to clearly sell. So right now it's, it's still, uh, a little bit up in the air. I do good things, but I want to. I haven't decided which, which my angle is yet, and that means that I don't have as much sales as I could have from a meeting like this, or from uh, the podcast that I have, or something, because it's not as clear what I can do for people. That's something that I'm working on myself. But it's a very good point he has in the book. Then he has some classic things that people say no to, like what causes them to say no. So here, the, he has four things here. First of all, it's like they don't have any money. That's the first comment. That means either they are literally really poor or it is that they don't see the value that is created through the work that you do. So in that case, you just have to um, discuss with them and see 
what potentially could end result of value could this have and let them put the number on it. If they can't put a number on it, that is a difficult discussion. You're not going to win it anyway. You need to help them see, can we find some money here? Is there some money to be had? If they can see, well, there is money to be had, then they're going to be more easier to buy from you. You have to help them see that. Secondly, you have like no need. And they said like, usually customer knows what they want. That's clear, usually. But it's not necessarily what they need. And as a consultant, it's part of your job to realize, okay, I hear this is what you want. From, but from my experience of what I do, uh, what, the process that I do, you, what it looks like, it looks like this is what you might need. So he said, like, he is openly saying you should disagree with, disagree with the client. You can disagree. You can say, I hear these are your needs. I don't disagree with your emotions or with your wants. I don't disagree with their emotions. But from what I come from, the solution that you're looking for, the need that you have to solve this problem is this. That's what I can say as, as a professional. Then it's up to them to see if they want it or not. But you need to be there to not just go with what they say that they want. You say, yeah, you want that. But what you need in order to get, you want this result in order to, the need that you have to get there is this. That's what I see. And with my process, we can get help you get there. And then they will up to them to discuss, like if they just want to do exactly what they want, I mean, they're not going to be the client you can work with. You need to be able to say it in a respectful way that this is what I see and, th and then leave. You don't have to, uh, not, not leave uh, the actual discussion, but like leave the, you don't push. You can say, like, this is what I see. And you, you can have them ask you questions about it, but you don't have to be like, this is what I see because I would, that's what I do. That's why I see this. That's what I think you need. Like I, and if you want to buy this, you still want to buy this thing you talked about originally, you can buy it from somebody else. But for me, I want to help you solve your problem. And that's the need that I see that you have. And if you, you of course, try to have to see them pers your perspective. That's another thing, by the way, with thought leadership I talked about before. It helps your clients see the world from your perspective. So when they're about to buy, they're already bought into your way of seeing the world, which makes selling to them much easier. You don't have to convince them in the same way. All right, but that was no money, no need, no urgency. That's the same thing. If there's no urgency, they're probably not going to buy. So that's also something you discuss with them. Like how important this is? Where, when do you want this to succeed? Why? Why does this matter to you? Um, what, what happens if the competitors do this before you? Like you got to look, is there an urgency here? Because if there's no urgency, it's very hard to sell. They're not, either you try to see, is there urgency? Can you find urgency somewhere? Can you make it so there's urgency, like there's a reason to work with you because like I have other clients coming in. I have a slot now that I can work with the client and, you know, but I have other clients that I work with. So we got to make a decision here within the next two weeks or I will take another client. So you, you, you have to find a, a good way to do this. But if there's no urgency, you can, you can try to find urgency inside the company. But if you can't realize that they will probably not buy from you right now. Then they're just scouting, they're window shopping. So you can't like ram through a deal. If there's no urgency, they're not, not going to buy. Not right now. They might buy in a half year, year. Then you keep given the content that you have, you have your, you write your books, you do your posts, you write your articles, you are on stage. And then you might email them half year, say what's going on. Let's have a, let's have a chat. See what's, you know, see what's up, but be aware that you it's hard to, you can't push the sales through. They're just going to back off. So and the last one, this is some easy, to, easy for you to fix, but it's no trust. They might be urgent. They might have the money. They need this. But if they don't trust you, they're not going to buy. So by hanging out with them, meeting them, coming to their city possibly, or meeting them at an event, hanging, like hanging out, getting to know them, and for them to understand where you are coming from. Like I have two areas here that I think that helps to make, create a personal connection. One is to understand who you are and why you do something. 
Like if you if you if you do some type of choice, people are like, why why did you do that? Like that's when I understand somebody's why, the reason for their behavior, I feel like I'm getting a more complete picture of this who this human being is. So having them giving them a chance to understand why you do things is one very powerful way for you to create a connection. Also, there's more things, but that, yeah, that's that's you can do that by uh, you don't have to talk to do it. You can do it through videos and stuff. One way communication too. Uh, second thing uh, is to be showing that you care. That you can do that through gifts. You can do that through your behavior. But is that I care for your well-being. I care for your success. And if that care comes through, these people are usually very liked. You're, if you care for others, you're liked. That doesn't mean you do stuff for free. That's not the same. But I'm coming from a caring place. I want you to succeed. I want to help you. And some of the things are free. We're talking. We do like some things are free and some, some things I charge for. It depends on the like if we're just talking or if you want me to seriously get involved with this. That's a different thing. I actually had a call today with a guy who wanted to talk with me. And I, I, I helped him a bit, but I was also like, you know, if you want to get this serious, we should have a proper like sales call. We should discuss these things. I can help you with this strategy that you're looking at. We can talk a bit, but I'm not going to go into depth in your situation and put my heart into it. I, I can help you and discuss uh, what you want to do. And I, I'm here for you. But like if you want to get serious, we we look at this uh, together like as a proper proper call. But you need, uh, you have this... Um, to care for people. And that also shows in your video, in your articles, everything you do. If you show it that I'm trying to help you, they will appreciate it. And that creates uh, trust as well. And then the, the last thing, this is a classical strategy, but most people will, won't like to talk about themselves. So if you help them to talk about themselves, you ask questions about what to do and so on, they usually like that. So if you have all three, you, you talk about them, you're you're not a care, caring and or helpful in for, for their life. And... Um, yeah, then you you get really far with with that. You you're gonna get really far. So yeah, this the, so those are the like uh, creating trust things that I wanted to mention. So that yeah, and, and spending time. But I was spending time with them, spending time, showing that you care, and uh, yeah, and then uh, ask, letting them talk about themselves. Those are the really good good tips there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Scale with Sales podcast. I would love to connect with you and hear your thoughts. So find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Rasmus Basilea and you'll find me there. I'll make it a point to respond to all messages I get. If startup sales and international expansion interests you more, you can find more insights and resources at euroscalers.com. Thank you again for listening.